Hello and welcome to another episode of The Thriving Metabolism, where we discuss everything that impacts your hormones and metabolism so that you can take control, repair the damage and lose weight consistently without making yourself miserable in the process. Most weight loss strategies and diets actually do harm to your metabolism, resulting in further weight gain down the road. And it can be particularly challenging for women over 40 due to hormonal and metabolic changes. So it's my mission to empower you so that you and your metabolism thrives and you never have to go through diet misery again. I'm Louise Digby, registered nutritional therapist, weight loss expert, and founder of The Nourish Method to Lasting Fat Loss. Today, we're going to be talking about why there's so much conflicting information out there and how to wade through it all to find what's right for you. If you've ever turned to Dr. Google to answer your nutritional questions, you probably received many conflicting answers that all kind of made sense and left you feeling more in the dark than you were when you started. Even a simple question like, are bananas good for you? will give you many different answers and lead you down a rabbit hole of different theories. So why is there so much conflicting information? Why can't we nutrition professionals all agree? Well, hopefully by the end of this episode, you're going to understand why there's no black and white answers in nutrition and what that means for you. There's lots of reasons why there's conflicting information out there. And let's start with the biggest problem of them all. And that's the government guidelines or the NICE guidelines. Conventional medicine uses tools like the food pyramid, the eat well play and the NICE guidelines to determine what guidance can be given to both the general public and also to people with specific conditions. The problem is those resources are based on wildly outdated and now largely discredited research And the guidance is still promoting a low-fat, low-calorie diet, even though there's an abundance of research to show that this isn't a healthy way to eat for most people. And when you look at the Eat Well Plate and the Food Pyramid, you'll see such highlights as a can of Coke. Yes, really. You see, The government gets a lot of money from companies that profit from fat being demonized and sugar and processed foods being normalized. Add to that that a health secretary doesn't actually have to know anything about health. You know, the people setting these guidelines are not the country's top nutrition experts. There's been a lot of pressure in recent years as a few highly respected NHS consultants have spoken out about this and the guidelines are beginning to change but it's at a snail's pace. So that's one reason why you'll find conflicting information out there because many doctors and personal trainers and even some dietitians and nutritionists use those government guidelines as their foundation and they hold on to them like it's gospel, whereas other health practitioners follow the research and stay up to date. And you'll see this difference also if you go to see a dietitian or a diabetic nurse or even a nutritionist on the NHS. 
you know, dependent on what area you live in, you may see someone who uses the kind of outdated guidelines, or you may be lucky enough to see someone who's completed specialist training. However, when you see a dietitian or a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist privately, it's much more likely that they'll be following up-to-date research, mostly because they're not restricted to having to follow those government guidelines, thank goodness. Now, another reason why there can be conflicting information is because of the state of nutrition research as a whole. When it comes to medicine and research into drugs, there's big money to be made by pharmaceutical companies who can prove that their patented drug improves a condition or a symptom. So they're able to do massive and expensive research trials to get the results that they want to see. In nutrition though, you can't patent something that is natural or from nature. So there isn't much money to be made from proving that. For example, like kale helps lower cholesterol. There's no money to be made from proving that. So no one wants to fund that research. And that means that in many cases, the research studies into foods or diets or supplements are on very small groups of people and have various limitations. There's plenty of research out there, but not many good studies that give us firm, conclusive data. So when a practitioner like me is researching to find the best approach for a client or researching for a blog post, we have to be really careful to factor in the limitations of the studies that we're looking at. But not everyone is careful, and that's why you get people online promoting harmful diets or random pills that are quote unquote proven to help you to lose weight or whatever, when that is actually far from the truth. You know, on a side note here, I get emails and messages most weeks from people who are thinking about studying nutrition and they send me a link to a random nutrition course that, you know, a few months to a year is all it takes to qualify and they ask if I think it's any good. And if you wanna be an effective practitioner and a safe practitioner, or if you wanna work with someone who is safe and effective, then you need to be looking at at least three years of full-time study, or of course, longer if you'd be studying part-time. The world of nutrition is such a minefield because You've got to wade through all this research to get to the answers and you need to be taught how to do that. And then you also need to intimately understand human physiology and pharmacology and how foods and nutrients behave in the body in different people with different genetics and different medications and conditions and life stages. So I would steer clear of anyone who hasn't done a degree or equivalent in nutrition. And anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, by the way. You don't have to have any training at all. So choose a registered nutrition practitioner or a registered nutritional therapist if you're looking, or if you're reading blogs, you know, make sure you're getting your information from credible sources. Anyway, rant over, getting back to research. 
Did you know that most of our research comes from studies on men? You know, since the dawn of science, men have been the ones who have been studied and we assume that those findings can be translated to women. However, women are not just little men. We have very different hormone profiles, different life stages and metabolisms and nutrient needs and everything else. You know, exercise and low calorie diets impact us differently to men. Lack of sleep impacts us differently. Stress impacts us differently. You know, with the women we work with, they often have to unlearn what they thought they knew because what they knew was actually only relevant to men. Pretty annoying, isn't it? (laughs) And, you know, the good news is that it's changing. You know, we are seeing more research coming out on women now. And I've been noticing a lot more research on weight loss that goes deeper than just looking at a diet or calorie balance, especially, you know, on menopausal women as well, which is great to see. And that leads me on to the next reason why there's so much conflicting information, and that's bio-individuality. Everyone is different. There is no one way of doing things that works for everyone. Wouldn't it be nice if there was? Wouldn't that be easier? But unfortunately not. You know, you've likely seen it yourself. A diet works for your friend, but not for you. Each person has different nutrient needs, genetics, goals, metabolic rate, hormone profile, gut bacteria, lifestyles, life stages, and That means that everyone's going to need different foods, different approaches, different supplements. In the Nourish Method, we work with women who all have the same problem and mostly are at the same life stage, you know, women who are over 35 struggling with stubborn weights. And yet, despite them all having the same problem on the surface and wanting to achieve the same thing, they all need different approaches. You know, Sandra needs to balance her gut bacteria to lose weight. Maggie needs to correct her deficiencies and improve her absorption to lose weight. Janet needs to go gluten-free because it's causing inflammation, which is stopping her from losing weight. Michelle needs to reduce the amount of exercise and she needs to eat more because she's putting her body into starvation mode and that is stopping her from losing weight. She's losing muscle instead. Sarah needs to support her liver to help her remove estrogen efficiently to lose weight. And those are all very simplistic examples and you know there's usually multiple things going on but you get the gist. So as you can see there are no simple answers, there are no black and white answers in nutrition, it's pretty much all grey area and it's about finding an approach that is going to work for your unique needs. And that's where nutrition practitioners come in because they can remove that guesswork, especially if you work with someone who specializes in the thing that you need help with. But what if you can't work with a practitioner? How do you figure it out? Well, I would start by, as I said before, making sure that the blogs you're reading, uh, the podcasts you're listening to, the books you're reading are written by people who are qualified and credible. 
Just because someone is well known or has a large following online or has a book or a column in a magazine or or even on TV, it doesn't mean that they are giving out good information. Be very selective where you're getting your information from. So that's the first thing that I do. And then secondly, I'd listen to your body. And this can be difficult to do at first because change is always hard and you know sometimes your body needs to adapt and you do need to give things time to work. But if you're feeling tired, more anxious, if you're hungrier, moody, getting cravings, disrupted sleep, you know, for more than a week or so after making a change, then these are all signs that what you're doing isn't good for you or isn't working for you. So listen to what your body is telling you because when you learn to tune into your body's signals, you'll realize that it's giving you a lot of information. And one way that you can start to tune in is by keeping a food and symptom diary or a lifestyle habit diary and just keeping track of what you're doing, what you're eating and how you're feeling. That can help you to start getting in tune with what your body's telling you. Okay, now it's time for my favorite fact from the past week. And this one is one that most able-bodied people will love. And the fact is this, just six minutes of high intensity exercise could delay the onset of Alzheimer's. So six minutes of high intensity exercise could expand the lifespan of a healthy brain and delay the onset of neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. So in this study, short but intense bouts of cycling increase the production of a specialized protein that's essential for brain formation, learning and memory and could protect the brain from age-related cognitive decline. And I think this is really motivating information because six minutes is so achievable. And what this might look like in practice is, you know, perhaps five minutes of slow cycling to warm up. And then in the study, they did six 40-second intervals at 100% effort. And this research was done on both men and women. So it applies to us ladies too. And it was a small group they studied, only 12 people, but they compared the high intensity workouts to other approaches and found that the six minutes of high intensity exercise was more effective than 90 minutes of moderate exercise or even 20 hours of fasting. When it comes to improving memory and brain function, six minutes of high intensity exercise is the way to go. Good to know, right? Okay, now it's time for a listener's letter. And this one says, let me just get it up on my screen. It says, hi Louise, loving your podcast. I've been following your tips for a few weeks and can already feel my jeans getting looser and I feel so much better in myself. Yay, that's so lovely to hear. I feel like I know what I need to do to feel good and eat right, but what I really find struggling is my fussy husband and kids. I've tried and tried to expand their palates, but they refuse to try anything new and my husband just doesn't get it. It's frustrating because 
He's always moaning about his weight and how tired he is. I keep offering what I think is really tasty yet healthy food and he acts like I'm trying to poison him. When I'm tired or if he cooks, I end up giving in and eating the junk that he likes. What do I do? (laughs) Okay, so I'm laughing because this is just such a common issue. So I think when it comes to changing other people's habits, the only way is to lead by example, which it sounds like you have been doing. But I think if I were you, I would stop offering or pushing what you want them to do. When you have pressure put on you to do something, whether it's eating better or working out more or doing the chores, whatever, when someone's pushing you or putting pressure on you to do something, it makes some people even more stubborn. Even if I was planning to do something like go to the gym, if someone said to me, don't you think you should go to the gym today? I'd suddenly not want to do it at all because I'm one of those people. And A real life example of this actually for me was like 10 years ago or something, my dad used to nag me every week to go to his badminton club and every week he'd be like, are you going to come this Friday? And every week I'd be like, no, don't feel like it, I don't fancy it. And after many months he finally stopped asking and then not long after that, I suddenly fancied going along and I've gone pretty much twice a week without fail for about 10 years now. I guess it's kind of like a reverse psychology. When my partner and I got together, he didn't have a bad diet at all, but he had quite a lot of biscuits and crisps. You know, he thought a sandwich, a packet of crisps and a chocolate bar was a balanced lunch. And I tried to get him to change, but with little success. But now he's better than most people and he willingly eats and really enjoys salads every day. He rarely eats crisps or sandwiches now. And he started by making simple swaps, like switching from crisps to plain nuts, for example. And I've always found that whenever I stopped trying, he'd come around of his own accord. So that's my suggestion for your hubby. And I don't have kids, but I imagine a similar strategy may work as men are just big kids after all. Our clients in the Nourish Method mostly manage to eat the same things as their families. You know, you can still have spag bowl and curry and pizza, but you can just adapt the recipes a little and you can blend up veg into sauces. Most kids would never know. So essentially, they've got to want to make the change and that's never going to happen if you're putting pressure onto them. Instead, lead by example. Get excited about what you eat. Rave about how good you feel when you're eating well and how crap you feel when you're eating junk. You know, try to be subtle about it. Like, oh, I feel so tired after that Chinese yesterday. It's like, if I don't have veg, I feel crap all the time. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, when hubby moans about his weight or feeling tired, do not offer solutions. Do not say, maybe you should try eating better. No, instead say, 
oh, that sucks. What are you going to do about it? You know, he has to come up with the solutions, not you. If he asks for advice, then you can give suggestions, but only if he asks. I hope that helps. If you're feeling stuck and you feel like you need some help, why not send me your nutrition question to be answered on the podcast? I'll be sure to keep it anonymous, of course, and you can ask me by emailing your question to louise at louisedigbynutrition.com and pop subject, pop no podcast into the subject line. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to talk to me about anything that I've discussed in this episode, you can reach me on my Facebook and Instagram by searching at Louise Digby Nutrition, or you can email me with your question on the podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please head to wherever you get your podcasts, click follow and leave a review. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.